0: Open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 2 eventually. Um, a few thoughts of introduction. Let me ask you this. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Is that part of your thinking? Is that the way you live and the way you you? act day to day? Are you in Christ? I thought at first about asking the question, are you a Christian? But after the morning message, I thought I'd ask it, are you in Christ? Have you come to the place where you are convinced and you know for sure in your heart that Jesus Christ is just as alive today as the person sitting next to you in the pew. Are you convinced of that in your heart? And if you confessed him as your Lord, are you in Christ? Tonight's message is for people who are in Christ. I've been just... uh, uh, just thinking a lot about Philippians um, we recently had one of our guest speakers that spoke on uh, a passage out of Philippians out of Philippians chapter two actually uh, one and two um, and we uh, I recently had a, a fellow at work that sends out a uh, a weekly um, devotional letter and uh, he he sends this letter out and I read it and he mentioned. Several passages in the New Testament, but he he mentioned passages from Ephesians or from Philippians in there a couple of times, and my heart has gone to Philippians, especially chapter two, and and I've just been thinking a lot about it. And so when when Pastor Rod asked me if I would would uh, do pulpit supply tonight so that he could have the the evening off with the the snap and all that going on, um, I said yeah. I, I I told him I I said I I'm willing to. I'm not. Desirous to, <laughs> and uh, I told him today. I said, "Now I'm desirous. I'm anxious. I want to share what what God's been been showing me through His Word, and uh, I'm, I'm anxious about this." But this message is for people who are in Christ. Have you ever thought about the people of Philippi? I, I some of you have already come up with this idea, and if you've known this, but in my research this week in my studying this week, I, one my as my brain is going around. I'm thinking, why did God use so many different authors to write so many portions of our scripture, but then used the Apostle Paul to write so much of the New Testament? And as I've been studying Philippians, I realize something special about the Apostle Paul and his epistles. You see, God used so many of these Old Testament authors and so many different people in many ways, to say similar things, but from different perspectives and different voices. And he used the Apostle Paul to say the same things, but talking to different groups of people and and relating it to different churches. The church at Philippi was a really special church to the Apostle Paul. Think about it. These were the first believers in Europe. Do you remember chapter sixteen of Acts, the 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 book of Acts, the chapter sixteen, and the uh, they've just had this council in Jerusalem, and they've just decided that uh, they need to tell everybody that you don't have to to uh, be circumcised in order to to uh, be saved, and and Paul and uh, um, Barnabas take off from from Jerusalem in chapter sixteen, and they're going out, and Paul says, let's go and visit the churches that we planted. Uh, on our, when we went on an evangelistic trip before. He didn't call it his first missionary journey. He didn't know that was his first of many missionary journeys. And he didn't, I don't think he probably used the word missionary journey. But he said, you know, we went out and, 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 and we sowed the seed of the gospel in, in many cities. Let's go back and visit those churches that we planted and, and see what, what God's doing there and share with them the news of what we've been discussing in Jerusalem. And, and, and put that to them so that they know, so false teachers can't come along and tell them, hey, you've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And if you haven't been circumcised, you're really not one of God's children yet. And and all those things that were going on. And so Paul and Barnabas took off on this missionary journey. We call it his second missionary journey. And and remember how Paul and Barnabas decided to split up John Mark? Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along. and, and Okay, you got that in chapter 15. And they got ready to go. And they, uh, Paul took ended up uh, in Lystra. He came across this Timothy, and Timothy was recommended to him by the people there in Lystra. And so he took this Timothy with him. He he became very good friends with this Timothy. He became like a son to him. And and so Timothy was was traveling with Paul now. And they wanted to go back to the churches they had been to, but the Holy Spirit stopped them from going to those churches. And and Paul, in a vision, saw in a dream that he ought to go over into Europe. And so they, made, they set sail, and they went across this little piece of water and, and started their journey over there, and they came to this town of Philippi. There weren't any Jews in Philippi, very, very few Jews in Philippi, all the other towns they had been in were just flocked, filled with Jews, and they would just go and find all these Jews, and, and uh, they would just be with them, and, and uh, they'd start teaching in the synagogues, because synagogues were already set up, and they'd start teaching in the synagogues, and they'd tell these people, hey, you've been looking for the Messiah. Well, here he is. It's Jesus. They got to Philippi, and it was different. In fact, remember they, were, they uh, went out to, to go to, along the lake, or along the river to pray, Uh, One commentator I I read said that the reason they went out there to pray was because there weren't ten Jews in the city to gather together to pray. There there weren't the the required number of Jews that would meet for a standard prayer meeting, and so they went out along the river to have have some time just to pray uh, in a smaller group because they couldn't do the official Jewish custom of a prayer meeting. There weren't that many Jews there. And they met Lydia, and Lydia feared God. She didn't know all the things about being a Jew, but she feared God. And they explained to her who Jesus was, and Lydia trusted Jesus as her Savior. And they had a convert there in Philippi. And then, remember, when they were going out to pray for their their prayer meetings and stuff, there was this girl that came along and was was coming behind them, and and she was full of a demon, and she was bothering them and and giving them trouble and things. And so, finally, I I never have understood this. The Bible says after a few days of this, after several days of of this going on, uh, Paul cast out the demon. Uh, Why he didn't do it the first day, I don't know not my business, Um, but after a few days of this, Paul cast out the demon, and the people who were making money on this girl said, whoa, hey, this is a bad thing. So they took uh, Paul and Silas at that point. Silas was along with them too here, and they took Paul and Silas, and they charged them for stirring up trouble, they said they're, they're teaching things that they ought not be taught, that, that are wrong for Romans to, to know. They're, they're teaching that, that there's one God and, and that Caesar's not God, and, and they're, they're, those aren't right for us Romans, and we need, to, we need them to be put in jail. And so they put them in jail, and uh, at n- midnight, they're singing in the prison and in the jail. By the way, that's the first time Paul was cast into jail. There's another special thing about Philippi for Paul. His first imprisonment, his first jail was in Philippi. And he's in jail and he's singing. He and Silas are down there singing. And uh, I've heard some preachers say, and and God sang bass along with them. And uh, when God sang bass, everything rumbled and the, the doors swung open and the chains fell off. And the prisoners were freed. And the Philippian jailer woke up and he realized the door was open. And he assumed all of those prisoners had left. And Paul said, wait, don't hurt yourself. He was going to kill himself. He knew what the Romans would do to him for losing their prisoners. And he was afraid for his life. And so he was going to kill himself rather than have those the Romans come and kill him. And Paul said, hold on, we're all here. And he brought Paul and Silas up into his house. Apparently his house was right above the jail. And he brought Paul and Silas up into his house and he he mended their wounds from the whipping they had taken and he he uh, fed them and was fellowshiping with them and he trusted the lord as his savior and his family trusted this is all during that one night they trusted the lord and and here's a small group of believers now he's got Lydia and he's got this this jailer and his family and and the next excuse me the next morning they get up and There are men sent from the the officials of the city and they say, Let them go. They just let them go, kick them out of town, you know, let them go. They've been in jail overnight, They'll, they'll leave, you know, they they won't bother us anymore. And Paul said, Hold on, not so fast. You've beaten a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman citizen. You've beaten a Roman citizen and and without cause. Somebody needs to answer for this. And they're scared. And so they come, and they beg Paul and Silas's forgiveness, and, and Paul and Silas leave Philippi. Now, we don't know. They were there several days. We don't, they may have led other people to the Lord. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. What all we know about are Lydia and the Philippian jailer and his family. That's all we know about as far as believers in Philippi. But Paul had a special heart for those people in Philippi, because that was his first church in Europe. That was his first time being in jail, and he's going to mention that here in the letter. And he's he's got this special heart for them, and one of the unique things about the letter to the Philippians is there is very little correction in this letter. This letter is all about you guys are doing great. You guys have, have done so much for me. I am so thankful for you people and what God's doing through you in my life. And Paul's so excited about that. He spends the whole first chapter talking about what God has, how God has blessed him through the people of Philippi. And I would challenge you take that first chapter and just every time that, that Paul mentions prayer, that's to God, or he mentions God, or he mentions Jesus Christ, or any, any reference to, to God and God's work, God's grace, Anytime he mentions that, mark that, highlight that in your Bible. Notice how many times in that first chapter. And he's, he's praising God as he's thanking these people for being God's vessels ministering to him. And that first chapter is so full of all that. And he gets near the end of the first chapter, and he says, I know that you're bothered by the fact that I'm in prison. Now, most people I've read believe that Paul wrote this letter from Rome. He re- refers to uh, the emperor's palace, the people of the emperor's palace, uh, later in the book, in the, in the letter. And so most people believe that that was from Rome. Uh, some translations translate that Caesar's Palace, and Paul was in prison before he went to Rome and was in prison. He was also in prison in Caesarea. Caesarea, Caesarea. He was. Uh, it was the 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 uh, the Roman capital of the area around uh, uh, around Israel. Okay, so he was imprisoned there for a while, so it could have been there in 54 or so. Some people say it was when we wrote this letter, but most put it in 61, 62, um, after, after the, uh, the year of our Lord. But um, this letter was written to these people with a great deal of thanks and love, and he's encouraging them in their ability to minister to him. And he comes to chapter 2, and I've never seen it this way before, but as you look at chapter 2, it it starts off, so if there is any encouragement, and if you read this carefully, I believe you'll see as you read chapter 1, those last few verses of chapter 1, and then go into chapter 2 and read the chapter 2 as an entirety, or at least the first uh, 18 verses of it, you'll see Paul is saying, if you have any encouragement for me in Christ, if you want to encourage me in Christ, if you have any comfort that comes out of love, if you've got any comfort for me, if you want to comfort me with love, any participation, I love the, the uh, ESV translates that, participation, if any fellowship Participation. So often we think of we think fellowship as eating, you know. Um, and the ESV translates that same word, participation in the spirit. It's that same word, fellowship and participation. Part- fellowship is a, is a coming together to get something done. Okay, it's a coming together to to participate. It is a, a joining together for a purpose. And uh, so he says, part- any participation in the spirit... Any affections and sympathy? Do this. Complete my joy, he says in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He says, Be unified. Now this church, he's not got a lot of things bad to say about them. These are top-notch Christians. These are believers who are seeking after Christ with their whole hearts and living for God. And Paul is just encouraging them to take the next right step. These people are not wicked, vile sinners who are, are, are like some of the other church problems that you see in some of the other churches that Paul deals with. These are people who have been encouraging Paul. And Paul says, if you want to be an encouragement to me, fulfill my joy. Be united. Live in unity. He says this. Here's what to do. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When was the last time you read that thought about it Many of us have memorized this passage of Philippians but what does it mean to consider others more significant than myself verse 4 let each of you look not only on his own interest but also on the interests of others Okay, I I can get that. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, he's going to tell us now, he's going to give us the example in Christ Jesus of how to do what he's just told us to do. How to put others better than ourselves. How to to be involved in others as much as we're involved in our own things, how to practically live out this unity of the faith. He's going to give us the example of Jesus. Because what happens so often in the Christian life is people say, well, here is here's the standard. Here's what you ought to do. We ought to esteem others better than ourselves. And we say, what do you, how far do you take that? I mean, what does he really mean there? We ought to worry about other people's business as much as we worry about ourselves. We ought to make sure that they're okay as much as we, as much as we make sure we're okay. Think about this. It's just the the American mindset of giving. Okay, the way that we Americans give was not like the Philippians gave. The way Americans give is we say, I've got this standard of living. And as long as I can maintain my standard of living, everything that God gives me, more than that, I'm going to be generous with. As long as I maintain where I want to be, I'm going to be really, if God blesses me more than that, I will re, I'll be so generous with that, I will give that out, and I'll just uh, I'll share it, and, and everything that God gives me, more than what I have said is my standard of living, I'm going to share that. These New Testament believers said, if I have what I need, I'll share with you out of my need. If I have what is just sustenance, I'll offer part of that to you if you have a need. And we say, ah, you're, you're getting crazy here, Brother Tim. You're, you're, getting, you're, just, you're talking crazy talk here. So in order to make sure that you understand the standard for this unity That we ought to be seeking as brothers and sisters of Christ to fulfill Paul's joy. In order to understand that standard, Paul uses an example and he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I asked you, Are you in Christ? Are you in Jesus? Is he alive? If he is alive, then you must trust he's able, right? I mean, if he can overcome death, he can certainly provide your needs according to his riches and glory. I mean, if he can overcome death and the grave, he can certainly keep all of his other promises. So if you are convinced that he is alive, then you got to trust him. And if you have said he's my Lord, that means you obey him. And Jesus is our example, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Our example was God. Our example for unity He had every right to all praise, all glory, all power, all dominion. He had the right to everything. That is our example that Paul is going to give us of how far we are to go with this esteeming others better than ourselves. Think about it. Jesus is the example. He is God. And although he was God, he made a decision. He deserved all that praise, but then he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made a decision. He said, I have my rights, but I'm going to set them aside to minister to the people I love. He said, I have everything in glory and I'm going to set that all aside so that I can minister to these rebellious people who hate me and will crucify me. That's our standard for esteeming others better than ourselves. Jesus is our standard. So He had all rights. He made this decision. And then, verse 7, but he made himself nothing. He took his rights, his right to worship and praise and glory and honor, and he said, let's put those here I'm going to minister as a man. Did he still have the right? Yes, he was still God. But he said, I, I don't have to be, at this moment in time, I don't have to be honored as God. I want to minister to the people who I am going to serve. Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the one who is worthy of all praise and honor, came to serve you and I. That's our standard for esteeming others better than yourself. Then it says, taking the form of a servant, he took the lowest position on the planet we we talk about Jesus was born as a human being and it's one thing to think that he was born like us he wasn't born like us this is the one time you'll hear me talk about white privilege okay we are so privileged in our in our state right now in our in our condition I was telling my wife the other day, we were, I was working on this, thinking through this, and I was thinking about look at the furniture in our home. You know, I can walk from my living room 20 feet and I have hot and cold running water in my house. I've got a refrigerator full of food. If it's not in the refrigerator, it's in the cupboards and cans. I can open a can, I can have dinner ready in a matter of a couple of minutes. And, and I've got electric appliances. I've got a roof over my head. I've got heating and air conditioning. I can keep my house where I live at 70 degrees year-round. All night long. If I wanted them on, I could have lights on in every room of my house all night long. I've got a heated bathroom floor. Hello? I, when, I, when I go home tonight, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to push a button... I don't even have to push this button. I'll just get in the car and I'll push a button in the car and the car will start. I'll drive that car the half mile home. I don't have to walk. I get home and I'll push a button in the car and the garage door will go up. I don't even have to get out and lift it up. I'll put my car inside the house and I'll push a button and the door will go back down. And it'll all be tucked in real nice and clean. So that if it snows tonight, when my wife goes out to get in the car in the morning, there's no snow on the car. She doesn't even have to clean off the windshield. Jesus Christ came as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem when there was none of that stuff. He could have chosen to come in our time. But he chose to come then in the fullness of time. He didn't come like you and I. We're you know middle class people, right? You know, we got we got jobs and we got you know we got stuff and and he came and was a servant to all. He was made a servant. He took the lowest seat at the table. That's the standard for esteeming others better than yourself. The God of creation esteemed you and I better than himself. The standard he's given us here, being born in the likeness of man, verse 8, and being found in human form, in human form. Pastor Rod said this morning, he associated with us. He came and, and became one of us. Our creator was in human form. He came to be like we are. That's not saying, I'm going to keep my standard of living and everything in excess, I'll give to you. That's, I'm going to come be part of you. That's our standard for esteeming others better than yourself. And then he became obedient. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. If you want to ask what the standard is and how far should we take this, esteeming others better than ourselves, Jesus Christ took it to death on the cross for your sake. The apostle was challenging these people to live in unity. He gave them Jesus as the example. In verse 9, he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father was well pleased, so well pleased that he raised Jesus up and he said, this is the standard. This is the the pinnacle. This is is the one to emulate Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father if we are in Christ and he is our Lord that's what we're looking for is God's honor and God's blessing and God's acceptance of what we do and Jesus God was honored and pleased with Jesus Christ and he, he accepted what Jesus Christ did. Verse 12. Therefore, my, bro- my beloved, since all this is true, as you have always obeyed, you've always obeyed in the past, they've been great believers. They've been, been solid. They've been, been living good Christian lives. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God doesn't call us to live a life of preferring one another better than ourselves, preferring others better than ourselves on our own. It's God that works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know, when you have that inkling, that desire, to be extravagant, maybe to be hurtful to yourself in order to help someone else, that's not coming from your selfish nature. That's coming from the Holy Spirit of God who is pricking your heart to glorify your Savior by esteeming others better than yourself. It's, it's amazing how God works through this. And he says, verse 14, then he says to them, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do you think he's thinking that they're going to be grumbling and questioning now <laughs> after he's laid out the standard for esteeming others better than themselves? I don't think, uh, come on, Paul, that's uh, that's ridiculous. You can't, you know, uh, really. It, Better than me? I mean, I can see, you know, saying someone else is as good as me and making sure that that we're, you know, that that I'm treating them like, well, I want to be treated and, you know, the golden rule and all that. I can see, but treat them better than me? Esteem them better, more worthy than me? Oh, come on, Paul. There's going to be some grumbling and disputing. So he says, do all things without grumblings and disputings, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We were talking about this morning in Sunday school. It's so easy to think about a twisted generation. You know what just happened? The lights dimmed, we call it. You know what happened, really? The power coming from the pole was supplying power to the dimmer panel back there. That didn't change. But back there, there are resistors. And those resistors were turned up. And they gave more resistance to the power that was trying to come through them to these lights and the light in our present room got darker. The same thing happens when we provide resistance to what God is trying to do through us in this present world. We are the light of the world as Christ shines through us. We are channels only for the Master. We are conduits like wire for the power of Christ to come to the people around us, to other believers that are in Christ, in this assembly. But we resist. We let fear resist the power that God wants to shine through us to, to bless other people in the assembly fear of finances fear of, of of failure fear of not being as good as somebody else we let those fears be a resistance we let envy be a resistance and we we don't want we don't want to 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 do what God wants us to do because we're envious of someone else's things. We let bitterness be a resistance to God flowing through us, and the light dims. And the room where we are is much darker than it would be if we open up that resistance. He said, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Are we in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation? It was back then, too. They had some really weird things happen in their society. These people were ruled by Rome. Rome the time of this writing, Nero was probably ruling. Have you ever read about Nero? Have you ever read what Nero did with Christians to make examples of them for his wicked parties? You think our nation's twisted and crooked. They lived in a pretty crooked nation, too among whom you shine as lights in this world, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's saying, I ran, I labored with you, I ministered to you so that you could glorify Christ and you could be unified in your, your time together and in your, your assembly together. He said, I want to be able to stand before Christ and know that my labor was not in vain. You ever think about the heart of your pastors? You ever think about what they feel like when they preach their heart out and you resist? I heard about a pastor one time a new pastor to his church and, and, uh, a little country church. And, and, uh, he preached a message on a Sunday and, and, uh, everybody left and went home and he came back next Sunday and he preached the same message again. And, uh, he, everybody left and went home and came back the third Sunday and he preached the same message again. And, uh, one of the deacons, a couple of deacons got together and they started talking about this Said, Hey, we need to talk about this. So one of the deacons went to the pastor and he said, uh, I said, Pastor, you you do a really good job preaching. We we really appreciate it. And and, and you're, do, you're visiting, you're doing all all stuff right. But he said, uh, we we just noticed you've preached the same sermon three weeks in a row. He said, Yeah. He said, Well, when you go preach something different. He said, When you start living the one I'd already preached. <laughs> you know, you gotta start living the one I already preached, then I'll move on. Pastors don't get a chance to do that, you know. They they're they're frustrated. They they want to know that their labor is not in vain. They want to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit abounding in your lives. They want to see you growing in Christ. Verse 17: Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 1, he had mentioned the fact that that he was um, in prison and, and had been in prison. Had, he was in suffering and had been suffering. And I think that's reference to him being in, in jail, and they knew that. And he said, I'm in jail. And he says later on in this chapter, I, I, I don't know which is better for me? Is it better for me to go to be with Christ? I want to go to be with Christ. I I love singing songs about heaven. I I would just be raptured right now. I'd I'd love to go be with Christ right now. He said, I love that thought. But it's better for you if I stay so I can keep ministering to you. You know what he was doing there? He was esteeming them better than himself. He was practicing what he preaches. So my question to us, Calvary Baptist Church, Findlay, Ohio, tonight, that we would likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Are we willing to be unified? Are we willing to to esteem others in our assembly better than ourselves? Are we willing to give up the idea of, I've got my lifestyle, I've got my schedule, I've got my things I'm doing here, and as long as I have extra beyond that, I'll gladly share. Are we willing to say, I give out of my poverty, if I've got just enough, I'll share part of that with you if you have a need. Are we willing to bear one another's burdens? My heart's burden is that we have a really great United States of America Finley, Ohio, congregation. The church at Philippi was a really great church. They were believers who loved Christ and wanted to serve him. And Paul said, if you want to give me more joy, if you want to fulfill my joy, if you want to take it in the next step, unify. Esteem others better than yourself. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the illustrations we have from the apostle. Father, thank you for bringing all of us together as part of the congregation of Calvary Baptist Church here in Finley. And Father, I ask that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, cause us to to grow in grace and knowledge. Father, that, that love would abound yet more and more. Father, that we would be doing what you would have us to do. And Father, that we would learn to esteem others better than ourselves. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in your children here. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.